Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. And welcome back, y'all, to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. You get the smoky lounge act voice today. Sorry, summertime cold. You wouldn't know it from looking out the window. Hope it holds up. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Ben Dieter. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere to get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. While you're there, please subscribe. And welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with KWAM Radio's Ben Dieter. Ben is an award-winning journalist at 107.9 FM, 99 AM, News Talk Memphis Radio, talk show host. After completing his education in history and government in 2021, he quickly came uh, to make a name for himself, covering high-profile cases for Newsmax, Newsmax, townhall.com, and Salem Radio News. Dieter's show, Wake Up Memphis, has become a go-to source for breaking news, politics, and entertainment. He has won a regional Edward R. Murrow Award and multiple Tennessee Association of Broadcasters Awards for such a young age. That's impressive. Outside of his radio work, Ben is actively involved in his community, talking to neighbors about events and issues shaping their lives. Hello, Ben. How are you today? Steve, I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. It's a bit stormy out there. Um, We've had some pretty serious air quality issues in Middle Tennessee from Canada, pretty far away called smoke uh now it's thunder lightning and wind um makes it hard to uh, uh disbelieve in man-made weather events that's for sure how's the air 200 miles southwest of me there in memphis it smells like barbecue lots of pork <laughs> I, I mean i wouldn't know the difference between canadian wildfires or just all the great barbecue joints we have here in the plus <laughs> city on the west side of this state that's great. So the wind just blows it right in there and you don't have to worry about it. It all mixes together, Steve. Tell us how uh, you got into radio. I didn't see which college you graduated from and how'd you end up at Todd Starnes' radio station in Memphis? Well, it's, a, it's a great question and it's a little bit of a story and I'll, I'll share it with you. So I went to Cedarville University in Dayton, Ohio, right outside of Dayton, and I studied policy and government, but I knew ever since I was, man, I would say seven, eight years old, I wanted to be a journalist. My mom would call me Ben 20 questions because I always had a question. So I knew, you know, I was I was going to end up in this field, but I, I studied policy, government, just thought, you know, I could study journalism and no shade to anybody that studies journalism or broadcast broadcast journalism. But I thought, you know, by the end of a four-year bachelor's degree, we all should be able to write. So what else can I do to enhance that portfolio? So I studied government and I met Todd in Washington, D.C., Todd Starnes. He was actually headlining for the vice president. And I believe it was at the Faith and Freedom Coalition event there in, in the nation's capital. And I walked up to Todd after this speech. A lot of my friends from college ran over to meet the vice president. I ran to the former Fox News host and I shook his hand, his hand and I said, one day, Todd, I want your job. That was quite the introduction, but it paid off. And so we, we parted ways. We kept in touch on social media. In college, I interned at a couple TV stations. So I did the whole MMJ thing, thought that's what I was going to do. 
And right before I graduated, Todd reached out and said, hey, what are you doing after college? And he mentioned he had just left Fox News, bought a radio station in Memphis, Tennessee, his yeah. hometown, yeah. and offered me a job. And believe it or not, radio pays a lot more than television. <laughs> and so I, I was like, you know, why not? I'm a huge fan of Todd's work. So I moved a week after graduating. I had about a backpack and a suitcase, threw it in the Nissan, drove myself to Tennessee. And let me just tell you, Memphis is a lot different than Gatlinburg, which was <laughs> the only place in Tennessee I had ever been. And now I'm here. Yes, it is. We'll talk all about that in just a second. But tell us about hosting Wake Up Memphis. Must be an early bird. I'm not. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, I would love this setup. I mean, your show, it's here, Central Time, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Now I'm actually awake. But you're right. You kind of do get used to it, Steve. Um, the show starts at seven o'clock in the morning. I wake up at four um, get to the station. I always kind of know what's happening in in the world of news here the night before. So I come in kind of with a good idea. I've already booked the guests that we want, the newsmakers on the show the day before. So you kind of have an idea of what can what is going to take place on the show. Of course, as you know, with the news cycle, it can all change just like that. Just like so you're that, always yeah. trying to be a little bit flexible. But come in, jump on air at seven o'clock, and it is a fun, fun show. It's color driven, it's news, traffic, and weather, and then a lot of politics. Okay. And did you have uh, radio heroes growing up, or was it a TV type of thing? And you just fell into radio because you realized it was such a better fit as you grew up? Man, that's a great question. I was that weird kid that instead of playing like Pokemon Go, I uh, listened to Sean Hannity. And, and why? I mean, I was, I was like 14 years old and I listened to um, Sean all the time. I remember my parents always were listening to Rush. I remember calling into a radio station when I was a little guy to tell this local morning show host who was based out of Pittsburgh. That's where my family's from that I was knocking on the door for John McCain. I don't even think I knew what he was running for, but I was a little guy. And so, you know, I've always been interested in radio and I I, I obviously have some some stars that I've watched as a kid on, on networks, television networks. But when you're out of college, let's just face it, you are desperate. You're either doing the, the job I've been blessed to do or you're headed to like Juneau, Alaska. And, uh, I didn't want to go to Judo, Alaska. No shade to our friends up north. Yeah. Well, you know, Sean is a pretty good um, role model. He is either top one or two in radio at this day. I assume you were listening to him back when he was out of Atlanta before yeah. he became coast to coast. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's it like working for the mighty KWAM and, and, and Todd himself since he was uh, just a influential person when you were in school, but now you're actually his employee What's it like? Well, Todd came from Fox News and worked his way all the way to the very <clears> tip <throat> top. And so that means Todd expects a standard of journalism and work ethic. And I really appreciate that. I mean, yes, I share the air with Todd a lot, but he's also a mentor. I feel like I've gone to the Todd Starn School of Journalism. You can forget what I learned in college because I can tell you actually doing the job 
is a lot different. Also, you know, news judgment is such an important thing. And I think it goes back to, do you know your community, Steve? Do you know the issues that are affecting Memphians from day to day? Is it the super long lines at the DMV and the Shelby County Clerk's Office where people can't get their car tags? You have to be out in the community to know what is going to strike a nerve to to have a successful <laughs> program and be that voice for Shelby County and to Memphians. Um, crime, as you can imagine, is a huge deal here. It's a, it's a huge concern. So he really encourages us to not just sit in the ivory towers of a studio like you see behind me, but to actually get out onto Beale Street, go to not the nice parts of town, but those parts of the town that are are really stricken with crime and talk to business owners, talk to people on the ground. And Todd did that all during his time at Fox News, and he hasn't lost that just because now he is who he is. He's the station owner, nationally syndicated host, and he's still down there doing it with me. You know, the MOS, the man on the street. We do that. And that's why I think our show is so successful because when we meet our listeners, they're not just people that are on the other side of radio land. I mean, genuinely, they're, they're our friends and they're our neighbors. Yeah, you give it that hometown feel for sure. But, you know, having to wake up at 4 a.m., you're not exactly going out and exploring the nightlife and seeing how wonderful things are. It's going to have to be those business owners that are open till 5 or 6. So I totally get that. Um, what about the rest of the team? So there's you and there's Todd, obviously. Good group of professionals you're with? Yeah, I, it's a lot of young people, a lot of young energy. And then we have some Memphis personalities that have been in the radio and television market for years. Um, and you could just name some names. Earl Farrell from Memphis. He was a broadcaster at Fox 13, Channel 3. Um, I just did some shows with Amy Spiropoulos. Again, these are not names that you might know, but our listeners here in Memphis grew up with these TV personalities. So a lot of people that have, I don't want to say become disgruntled TV or former TV employees, but you know, they are. It has changed so much. And so. We're getting some muting issue. There we go. And radio is the very same. What was that, Steve? Oh, you're just having some internet connection problems down there. Must be yeah, the storm. It basically looks like Noah's Ark got my window, so that doesn't surprise me at all, but I'm glad we got some of it. Um, we'll keep going. <clears throat> um, you, you're good, Ben? Okay. And yes. then now the dog is excited because there comes the thunder. All right, we're good. This is fun. It's like Halloween. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing shows and segments on the crime wave in Memphis. It's it's un, unavoidable. I'm, I can't hide it. Uh, just this weekend... Eight people shot in 48 hours. You know, that's like Chicago type violence that we're used to seeing on the national news. But for us, it's obviously small town local. Uh, Memphis has been ranked as the most dangerous city in the United States, according to 24-7 Wall Street, um, a study using FBI statistics. Memphis is also ranked with the second highest homicide rate than any U.S. metro area. And in 2020, there were 327 homicides reported. So far this year, more homicides have already been reported than in 2022. You all in Shelby County got a new chief of police from Atlanta, C.J. Davis, a few years ago now, uh, to help solve the problem there. 
that was before the whole Tyree Nichols death with the five officers charged with murder. Uh, what is being done by MPD? Well, I think, you know, to give the, the chief some credit, she's really pushed hiring, recruitment, retention. I mean, there's no question we are down 800 officers, 700 people have different have different totals that they would like to see for a fully staffed and functioning Memphis Police Department. But we could use way more than that. The issue is after the riots of 2020 following the, the death of George Floyd, we saw not just in Memphis, but across the country, this massive exodus of law enforcement from the department. And we've really struggled to get those numbers back up. And it is absolutely critical. I mean, you even have some progressives on our city council, Shelby County Commission, now having to concede that maybe that wasn't the best idea to villainize our officers because when even our council members are too scared to go out after dark, <laughs> they want to make sure when they call 911, the response time isn't two hours, right? We, we want those officers there ASAP. Unfortunately, they are out manner. I mean, they are just exhausted. They don't have strong morale. And I, I got to give the police chief some credit. She's been trying to boost those numbers that we need desperately so bad. But it's pretty bad. I mean, you hear those statistics and you read those headlines, but here in, in Memphis, it's a reality. It's not just a headline. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, maybe, like I said, history will record it as the, the worst time in the city's history and the country's history in that one spot. Um, and for all the wrong reasons. I mean, who would have thunk if you defund the police department, crime would go up, but... That's what happened, uh, not just in your city, but the city I came from, Seattle, and even Nashville has its has its problems. It's it's about eight per uh, one thousand residents of crime, where you're in the twenties, um, and so something definitely needs to be done. Um, you know, lifelong Memphis resident Floyd Bonner Jr. was elected sheriff just a year ago, maybe a year ago next month, so not even a year. Um, I contend the only way to save these cities that we were talking about is with the sheriffs especially after the insane defund the police movement um, across the country. Any positive things coming out of Shelby County Sheriff's Office? Well, Sheriff Floyd Bonner is actually running for mayor, and a lot of people have their eyes on the sheriff as maybe the, the guy in shining armor, right? The knight that comes in here and helps stop this crime wave. He's a great guy. He's coming on the show in just uh, a couple days. He's been on a lot. And he's he's a very even-tempered type of guy that's been in the city for a very long time. Unfortunately, Memphis is dark, dark blue. We would say, so Shelby County is what houses Memphis. Shelby is going to be dark blue. Memphis, extremely dark blue. So Sheriff Bonner's law enforcement credentials, unfortunately, are the, the progressive radical left's attack ads, which is insane. Unfortunately, there are still a lot of people that think that's a negative flaw of the candidate. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Well, uh, when's that election? It's coming up just after the first week of October. Okay, so same, as, again, same as Nashville. Yeah, exactly. We've been we've been hearing about Nashville's race and, and here in ours, it's the person with the most votes. It's that simple. And I think last check, 
there are about 12 people running. There's a lot of people in there. So whoever can get the most ballots, the votes that are cast uh, are, will be the next mayor of Memphis. It's pretty interesting. That is, wow. Is there a front runner? Uh, man, there's some polling out there. And, it's too early, too early. And, and, and it's pretty early. Uh, we have a guy by the name of Van Turner. Maybe people are familiar with the name. He's the NAACP branch of Memphis of this chapter here. And he's right up there with the likes of Ben Crump and Al Sharpton. And anytime there is an officer involved shooting, he sweeps in. And he's a pretty he's a pretty popular guy because of that. And so a lot of people are really concerned that he shares the right message, which is a deceitful one, but sometimes effective when you're in a dark, dark blue place like Memphis and he could he could be in the mayor's suite. Wow. All right. We, we had uh, Benny Smith on here not too long ago, uh, Shelby County Elections Integrity Specialist, now statewide, yeah. and he gave us a little bit of insight into the history of Shelby County and its elections in general. And so who knows what's going to happen on Election Day. Uh, Nashville, There's one Republican. And it's, a, and it's a nonpartisan race, but everybody knows that's that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, so one Republican and then a ton of Democrats. So the goal for people that are pro-law enforcement and throwing criminals behind bars and keeping them there are, are hopeful that maybe if you have 12 or more Democrats running, that will splinter the vote. And then a Republican won and, and all he would need is enough votes that he could he could go in and, and be the next mayor of Memphis. That's going to be a long shot, but a lot of people are hopeful. Is that Bonner Jr. by chance? No, no, no. Bonner is actually a Democrat, but every time there's a Lincoln Day dinner, and you are very familiar with those, he shows up. You know, he's well loved on both sides. I mean, we have a lot of Republicans here in this yeah. city that actually say they they support Bonner. But it's a city there used councilman. to be such a thing as a law and order Democrat. I don't know where they went, but there used to be. I know. I know. It, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? And you want them back. And uh, so so there are a lot of people supporting him. The Republican, the token Republican in the race is a guy by the name of Frank Colvett Jr. He is a city councilman here in this city. OK. All right. In the bluest of blue cities. OK. Well, um, what are the opinions of Memphis residents on uh, the Justin? Uh, Justin Pearson, not to be confused with Justin Jones here in Nashville. With Do yours. Think he's, yeah, with mine. Yeah, not mine. I'm in Franklin. I'm in Williamson County. That's that's their problem. Uh, do do they think he's looking out for them or self-promoting himself with the gun issue? That's a that's a great question. And we <laughs> just had we just had his special election just the other day. He he's now in the general, but there's really no challenger in the general. So he'll he'll ride back in on that wave and, and he'll be successful. But there he was, didn't have a challenger uh, in his last general either. He was unopposed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, really sad because I think the interesting thing that was missed when all of that ruckus was happening, and let's go back to that moment where you had the so-called Tennessee Three on the floor of the, the state's capital there in the chambers. You had them with the bullhorns, they're chanting, and you see a couple Democrat members in leadership. A couple names come to mind, Karen Camper, one of them. Joe Towns, 
those two senior Democrats that represent Memphis in a pretty good job, they're very popular here, walked up to those two young men, the two Justins, and basically grabbed them by the ear and walked them off the stage. I don't know if you saw that video no, no. that was circulating. And it was really interesting um, because it showed the difference between Democrats today, and that would be the Justin version, which is like extremely progressive, radical Marxist, Marxist. Yep. versus exactly versus your traditional Democrats that are very socially conservative. Now, they may have disagreements with Republicans, but they know they're in the super minority. So that means they have to go along to get along if they ever want anything done for their constituents. And that's why they've been effective, because they've learned how to, yes, they fight on one hand. And then on the other hand, they have to hold hands with their Republican colleagues. So you saw the difference of Memphis Democrats with the whole expulsion vote, et cetera. Uh, but then the guy came back. He ran again, but he was more like appointed because no one really took him on. And he, he did all right, but I, I think the guy only got 2,000 votes, and he's in District 86. That's my district downtown where I live, which is not a lot of people. So it's a small group of activists that stage every city council meeting. Anytime there's any issue at the Starbucks down the road, they're the first to put on their union activism hats. And, and it's those people, and you have them in Nashville that are small but they're really loud and they found their guy in Justin Pearson. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, well, we did mention our Nashville mayor race, same as yours there, and it is heating up uh, early voting started Friday. Uh, some of them, I had two of the Republicans on here. One of the Democrats, Campbell couldn't make it. Um, but you know, just as a, a campaign, not slogan per se, but, but an issue that people are going to want to know more about um, they want to link rail to Nashville and Atlanta and Memphis to Nashville. Do you like that idea? You know, it's it's definitely not a huge topic and conversation. I think what I've seen covering this story here is it's a lot of blueprints and a lot of talk, but we, we have bigger issues here in Tennessee. Uh, our infrastructure is so bad. I mean, we're lucky if our cars are intact for more than a year. So this idea that our taxpayer dollars would go to funding something like this to build a railroad, I think, yeah, the concept, the theory is cool. Wouldn't we all like to just jump on an Amtrak train? I don't even know if it's that, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. And then we're in Nashville. Yeah, that's very cool. But they also want to do choice lanes here as well. Uh, that would be a toll lane. I think that's just a clever way of saying it. Right. And, and the folks in Nashville are like, or Memphis, excuse me, I'm not sure about Nashville, but they're like, no, no, we've already sent a lot of our tax dollars to you guys. And the main stretch of road across the whole city from downtown to East Memphis, where I'm talking to you from, is a big lane called Poplar Avenue, the most traveled street in the city. And uh, it is literally like bumper cars. I mean, you're just like hopping around, bumping into each other. And so let's start there and then let's talk about maybe getting an Amtrak train in here. Yeah, I've been warned. How about uh, you? Are are the people in Nashville a fan of it? Uh, you know, I think the ones that are are the ones that don't want to commute in for the Titans games or for the um, the future expansion of the NASCAR. That would reminds me so much of when I lived in the Bay Area and they kept having people vote on a new candlestick park and the city kept saying, no. 
But the owners kept saying, well, we're going to do it anyway, and you're going to pay for it. And they did. And so they got the infrastructure and they're not even in Candlestick Park anymore. So mm -hmm. the money was just flushed down the toilet, made everybody mad. All the former owners aren't even owners of the team anymore. And so this reminds me of that. And so I think the only people that are really vested in that are the gamblers and the sports folks and the folks who don't want to drive in and try to find parking on Broadway. But I, if I lived in Blount County, if I lived in Knoxville or Charlottesville, I'd be like, I'm not paying for that, but they're gonna. And that's just sort of the history yeah. now. And they're about 45 years <laughs> behind the times of what California got away with, but it doesn't surprise me. And I think Seattle where Steve's sitting, they did the exact same thing. So it reminds me quite a bit of that. Um, yeah, well, and, thanks and for asking that. But to, real quick to that, I live in Frank. I live in Franklin, which is Williamson County. I don't want it, and I certainly don't want light rail coming into my town because I've seen what it does to neighborhoods. So no. Yeah, and, and I think it would be a one way ticket. I don't think there would be people coming from Franklin and Nashville to Memphis until we get our problems figured out. It'd be Memphians trying to escape the war zone, which is the Bluff City. And listen, I love it here, but we've got to fix some things. I think it would be a one way. Yeah. Us trying to escape the crime to other parts of the state. I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. You're absolutely right. Um, Jim Strickland, your mayor uh, was on the city council since 2008. Now mayor since 2016. That's 15 years. A lot of what we're talking about on his watch. Uh, what are your thoughts on his uh, legacy or leadership? So he's he's the mayor. He's been the mayor for two terms, and he's wrapping up his last term in office, hence the big mayor's race we're having. And I moved to Memphis two years ago, and if I wouldn't have known better, Steve, I would have thought he was a Republican. Because uh, now he's kind of getting it together. I think he's working on his legacy. I've interviewed the guy. He sounds as tough on crime as the rest of the Republican Party here. And I think it's because it's gotten so bad under his watch, that's the quiet part, that now he's issuing these email releases every, these letter, and they're in the, the form of an email every single week saying our district attorney, Steve Mulroy, is letting these cop killers and these smash and grabbers out of jail, eliminating the bonds or bail system, setting these incredibly low bonds, and sounding the alarm about our weak judicial system and the, the laws here. So it sounds all good and, and nice, and I agree with them. You know, I could honestly read his talking points, and the listener, the viewer, wouldn't know the difference between me and my mayor. Unfortunately, all of this did take place under, under his watch, and he was really one of those people that, after the riots of 2020, started slashing the budget. And, and that caused real problems when you don't have law enforcement, like you mentioned, it's going to lead to some crime problems. And I think everybody now, a couple of years later, know that. Hmm, interesting. So uh, if, forgive me if this is something that you're not paying attention to, but I sure am. Uh, there's a place over there in Memphis called Le Bonner Children's Hospital. Has been ranked one of the best for 13 straight years. Uh, Dr. Ben Mock uh, was killed there last week, uh, was a famous hand and wrist surgeon there. Um, I read... Some Mid-South parents uh, were panicking after receiving a letter that TennCare, our Tennessee uh, Medicare system, I guess you'd call it, uh, won't pay for children's care at Le Bonner, uh in the new year. Do you have any information if that was a motive that maybe why Dr. Mock was targeted because the news said, quote unquote, targeted by Larry Pickens or anything like that? 
Yeah, well, we've covered this story with Tank Care, and last check there was an agreement reached, and then they had another fallout. So I think they're back in the negotiation stage. But to your point, it's a huge story, and a lot of people and parents are concerned that they're it's it's not going to be covered uh, because that story is a little bit unclear for people that live outside the city. He was a, a surgeon that did a lot of work at Le Bonheur, but he was shot at a clinic just out in the suburbs in Collierville. But like you said, did a lot of work at Le Bonheur. But the guy he was actually uh, had worked with that ultimately became the accused shooter was, was a really deranged man. I mean, the, the Memphis Police Department has just released information saying that just the week before that tragic shooting, he had been in there making threats towards the doctor. And then all of these other businesses, business owners around town came forward and said, oh, wait, he was in my barber shop two months ago. And he was acting very deranged and, and unstable when we had our interaction here at my business. And so there could be something to that. I think the investigation obviously is underway. It's still a really fresh story. But we'll have to let the facts come out. What we do know is he had a ton of mental health issues. He was a, a patient that was in there just a week before and ultimately did this incredibly tragic thing that has, to your point, people at Le Bonner, parents of these little kids that had been operated on by Dr. Mock, just absolutely devastated. It's, it's, yeah. it's awful. Yeah, he was one of the best and now he's gone. Um, and it reminds me, I can't help but link them to what happened in Nashville with the Covington killer and how the ability of that doctor uh, uh, under the per under the guidance of somebody for probably mental health issues ends up doing something so homicidal and, and violent, but yet we're not talking about that. Like, where did he get his gun? Why did he have a gun? If he was having schizophrenic problems in the past and other businesses were complaining and he was known to the police, et cetera, et cetera. But yet the Justins and Gloria from Knoxville are out there telling everybody that we shouldn't have guns because guns are the problem, not mental health. And they want to have a special session come August uh, about, we don't know what's going to come of it, but they're probably talking about red flag laws and, and taking away guns from citizens like you and me who are law abiding just to try to prevent cases like this, which it wouldn't do. So no. is there any tie in there in the news to say, wait a minute, mental health again should be the focus not taking our guns like like your Congress or your assembly person uh, 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 Pearson would like to do. Yeah, and unfortunately, half of the re so-called Republicans um, on our city council, uh, it, it's just ridiculous with every one of these big stories. They they come up with these lofty goals to simply and frankly take your Second Amendment right away. I mean, it's it's really astounding to see how quickly they grasp for that straw when in all reality, the guy that shot or allegedly shot Dr. Mock was unable to get a gun. Um, it goes back to the 13-year-old the that just carjacked and, and shot a woman. Under Tennessee state law, Justin Pearson, Gloria Johnson, and uh, Justin Johnson, or Justin- um, Jones. Uh, Jones, excuse me. Thank you. Um, Brother Jones to me, but yeah. 13, 13 year olds can't purchase those guns. I, I just don't know what to say. So we could in theory make a law about that, but oh, wait, there already is one. 
And there already are laws prohibiting these basket cases that can't go through any of these checks from, from getting these guns. What I've seen here as a reporter that lives downtown and that covers all parts of the, the zip codes here is they are not just going and breaking into cars and stealing guns from glove box, which I think is pretty dumb. Like the Second Amendment and uh, advocates and gun owners, I think they're they're very smart. They typically don't do that, but some of them do. And we need to do better about that, right? If we if we know that they are going in and they're looking in these parking lots and looking in everybody's car, yeah, put it in a lockbox, do what you can to secure it. And yet that's not even been enough because what they've been doing, Steve, is, is just going to the gun shops themselves, not to purchase it legally or go through a background check of any sorts. No, they smash and grab the business, aka they shove their trucks, drive it in the back, and, and then they steal using sledgehammers. So there also are laws on the books against that and stealing. And we see what these criminals do to the law. They, they shred it up before just committing more crimes. So. I don't know. It just seems illogical to me. Yeah. But then you well, know, you're right. You're right about the gun, the guns and car issue. That's something I realized when I moved here. And what I did my reporting, I figured out is stores like Nordstrom stores, like a lot of grocery stores will make themselves gun free zones. And so even though we have a concealed carry permit law here where you can carry a gun openly, you can't in a certain store. So what do you do? You stick it in your glove compartment and then what happens in a place like ne Memphis, which has a lot of crime in the in the cars, or San Francisco or Los Angeles, I don't want to just pick on you guys, you're going to get your gun stolen, and it's going to end up in a major crime. So yes, there are no laws to prevent all of this, uh, and nothing magically will make all the guns disappear off the street. It happened to our police going. chief, by the way. Our, our police chief, CJ Davis, she was furniture shopping. <laughs> and left one of her guns in our car and a, a criminal came over saw it smashed into the vehicle and stole our police chief's gun no word if that has been used in a crime we'll keep you updated wow that's straight out of lethal weapon all right um are you familiar with uh jamara shoots university of memphis basketball incident you know remember that Give me ago. a little bit more information. I may, but I may not. You, do, you will when I tell you this. You might not know her name because I didn't even pronounce it right. But after the Bowling Green Falcons women's team beat the Tigers 73-60 in the Sweet 16 round of the Women's National Invitational Tournament in Ohio, Jamara punched Alyssa Brett closed fist in the eye on national TV. Um, what what the heck was that? Is that, is that something that they're breathing yeah. incorrectly at, at University of Memphis? It just, again, I don't know. We get so many black eyes and we deserve them. And I think when we saw that, I just thought, I mean, can can we get some good press? You know, <laughs> if it's not Fox News or CNN bringing their cameras here to our city every time we have one of these massive news stories, our athletes would then put us in the news. And, and so that was really discouraging. I mean, we're a huge uh, uh, basketball town. And even the Grizzlies this year, which are a pretty good team. They're a very young team. But some of the behavior by these young athletes, these stars are just, I mean, John Morant, for example, the guy's still on a suspension because he's running around to all these clubs, waving guns while he's intoxicated. And, and it's just, again, such a negative look. We're already um, struggling to get just some good publicity here. It's a shame that our athletes that 
we're all behind and champion championing are are doing that to our great city. Yeah, we love them to be role models, but I never understood what part of thirty million dollars a year just behave yourself did they not understand? But they they seem to lose. Well, here's some good press. Uh, back in 2016, Elvis's home, Graceland, crossed 20 million visitors, 650,000 annually, they say. Uh, have you been to Graceland? And after his daughter, Lisa Marie, died last year, did anything uh, bad happen to it? Or is it still the number one tourist attraction in the state, they say? Is it that cool? I mean, there's a lot of cool tourist attractions in the state, but they say, to your point, that studies show that more people are still coming to Graceland than even Gatlinburg or some of these other great tourist attractions across the volunteer state. You know, I think the movie, the biopic that came out not too long ago with Austin Butler featuring or starring as Elvis Presley, that did a lot for our city. A, a lot of young people that, yeah, they hear their parents and their grandparents crush on Elvis Presley. I know my grandma had a crush on him, so I only knew Elvis Presley through my grandma until I watched the film. And then I just so happened to move to Memphis. And then I found myself at Graceland. So I think it's pretty neat to see younger people going because the the industry has kept his legacy alive. I've been there a couple times working on some stories. It, it's really, really impressive. And I'm not even an Elvis fan. I know that's like heresy to say living in Memphis, but it's pretty cool. Have you checked it out before? I have not. I've been told don't go anywhere near Memphis, especially don't get a flat tire. But um, I do know that what what the TV show Nashville did for Nashville, the movie that you're talking about, really? Elvis, has done for, for Memphis by giving it another lease on life, so to speak. But I was surprised, actually. I would have thought Dollywood would get more uh, traffic than Graceland, but apparently not. That's what they say. Well, when you come over, I will I will drive us and then I can drop you off so you don't have to park <laughs> your car because they do have a huge problem with the car break ins there, too, which is a shame. You have these you have these tourists coming from like Taiwan and, and they have no idea where they're coming. And, and we're all just like, no, no. What are you doing? You can't just leave your valuables in your car. You don't know where you're at. Let us, the local, take care of you and you'll be fine. Other than that. Yeah, you're smart, Steve, but we'll take care of you. Yeah, well, I also don't, I open carry, so that's a different story. I would never leave it in my glove compartment. Um, speaking of that, I, I just saw Bill Cherry on Sunday do his Elvis impersonation show at the Franklin Theater. It was really good. I highly recommend it. Um, he looks a lot like Elvis. Uh, Memphis still does the annual Ultimate Elvis Tribute Artist Contest, final rounds live in Memphis uh, via virtual Elvis Week. Uh, that must be something, huh? Do you cover that? I haven't been at Graceland when it's been going on, but I I live literally a, a stone throw away from Bill Street. I know, ask my parents how that's been. I mean, they they hear me do the show every morning and talk about the crime downtown that I live on, on Bill Street, essentially. So I see a lot of them, but I'll be honest with you. I, I went to Vegas not long ago and I saw more Elvis impersonators there, which was so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I would expect to see it in my own backyard, but I saw them more on the strip in Nevada. Yeah, that's where you get the crazy ones. These ones are just trying to be authentic from all the different that's walks right. of his life. But what about Sun Studios? Does that still bring people in? That's a it famous does. recording. Yeah, it, it really does. It's located just as you're leaving downtown. It's right on the corner there. And a lot of people go there, which is is kind of shocking to me. I mean, you you know, once you live in a city, you mentioned Seattle whether it be Nashville, and even if you live in Franklin, you get used to these really cool things. I was in your neck of the woods over the weekend, 
Friday and I got all my friends. I'm like, we've got to go to Broadway. <laughs> and so I spent all two days on Broadway. You know, as a local, I'm never on Beale Street. So I don't typically go to Sun Studios, but a lot of tourists do. That would be the first place I would go, definitely. Um, okay, we got about five minutes left. Uh, do, you, do you think uh, radio is alive and well, or or do you sense a decline with advertisers tightening their budgets? I think the economy has made it difficult for everyone involved. Radio, TV, just being a business owner, frankly, it's, it's not an easy time. But the industry is changing, as you're well aware of. I mean, the rise of digital is 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 something that everybody in these you know mediums are are having to to reckon with and so i think it's the ones that are going to be flexible and adapt with the signs of the time are the ones that are going to come out on top that said people still listen to radio fm and am i know there's been a lot of controversy on ford for example with their new electric vehicles tesla on and yank am and a lot of people reached out to our station were am 990 and fm 107.9 and a lot of people still listen on am and a lot of conservatives listen on am and republicans and older folks that aren't going to get on twitter truck, truck drivers yeah exactly exactly and hmm. and then also the weather you know we've had so many so many times where we'll have these ice storms during january or december and and people aren't tuning into their to their television sets or getting on twitter spaces you know, with all due respect to Elon Musk, they're they're tuning into their radios. So I think yeah. there is still going to be a necessity for it. But I do think with that being said, what you're doing, that's digital and that has exploded. So what we do is, yes, we stream the show over the airwaves, but we also do digital streaming and we stream on socials, Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and then put it in a podcast after the show. So people driving home, they don't want to listen to all the commercials. Maybe they don't have time. They can just download it there. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I do think it was an attempt, not a good one, to basically get a monopoly on satellite radio. Uh, but the yeah. uproar was was huge because most people who listen to anything on radio, they want that AM radio, especially if they're driving from Memphis to Nashville. What else are you going to get um, if you don't want serious satellite? Um, right. Okay, um, so... You do something I can't do on podcasts. You take calls from listeners. Um, you have to be quick on your feet for that. Obviously, you have to be very well-read and very knowledgeable of, of the topic so they don't make you sound bad. Uh, do you enjoy taking those calls or are, are, are you always wondering if it's someone who just wants to trip you up? Well, shout out to the great call screeners in America because they really do God's work because you do get people that get on there and they just want to troll you. And they are not leftists that want to challenge you on your views of, of criminal justice. They want to tell you that you like eating a very yucky thing, okay? And they'll come on air and they'll say that. And you go, what? And then they drop the call. So great, great job, call screeners. But I honestly really like the, the back and forth with the listeners. I had a lady come on the show recently and demand I pay reparations. I'm going, I can barely pay my apartment. I, <laughs> can't find your reparations and, and first of all i'd have to take an ancestry.com test to see if i if i actually have to i think that's ridiculous but we had a really good back and forth and i have learned from them i that pains me to say sometimes even the leftists in town not necessarily believing 
their point of view and prescribing to it, but but I do see where they're coming from on some different issues. And I've evolved in in my not my belief systems, like I instill who I am, but I want to make sure that I am seeing their perspective when it comes to the issues, because I think that's the best way to debate them on them and yeah. destroy them. Yeah, that's a good for a reporter too to have an open mind yeah. so that if you think your premonition is wrong and you're willing to change your mind, you actually can report the news as fact. Um, you you seem to be a pretty bipartisan guy for the most part. I don't, I don't think you're a far left, you know, or far right uh, fire thrower, but your your station is considered right of center or Christian, mostly because of its owner Todd. Um, has the mob ever come for you out at an event or tried to boycott you or the station? Oh, man. Well, we get the nasty calls and the threatening emails that someone's going to drive by and do some terrible things. And we just we take that into consideration, like most businesses across America. And just, you know, you never know what could happen. And when we are at different events, if someone recognizes my voice because it is the medium of audio, I have had some people come up to me and they get in your face. But like you said, I'm not a, a very confrontational, nasty person. Most of my friends in college are flaming leftist. And I, to your point, like I'm I'm not, but we have great relationships. And so there is something to just being a kind person. Like, I think we've really lost that. And so, you know, it it, it is a really nasty and divisive time in our country and even here in the city of Memphis. But you just got to still be strong and just, you know, at the end of the day, I know this sounds really trite, but we are humans. And this is all very shallow at times on some of these issues. Some of them are not. I mean, they're huge issues. But at the end of the day, you're my neighbor. And if yeah. I can't talk to you, well, then I need to get out of town. Yeah, this is the neighborhood we live in. Um, okay, I think I have time for a couple more. Nearly 17% of Memphis students in grades 3 through 12 performed at or above grade level expectations in math and English on state standardized tests in 2022. So that means 83% didn't. Uh, the MSCS board wants Tony Williams to be superintendent. The new contract offers $305,000 a year and 30 days vacation, highest paid job in the county, and she has no education experience. Uh, what could go wrong, right? Um, have you been paying attention to the schools and this this yeah. tragedy of education? And and they're rejecting everything from Nashville with our General Assembly giving assistance to some of these families in the ways of vouchers. And and you look at these numbers, why wouldn't you want your kid to get into one of these schools um, if, if they are that bad? And you're right. I mean, these kids cannot read past the third grade. And I had an educator that's been very familiar, taught in the industry or taught in the school district, excuse me, for years. And she said, you know, you've got to learn to read so you can then read to learn. And if these kids can't read to learn, if they can't read, they're never going to learn. And I think it is a, a, a terrible thing that somehow we think that it is okay for a fourth grader, a fifth grader. And then we've seen the rates with even those getting ready to enter college struggle with simple arithmetic. But believe me, they know a lot of other things that are just not helpful for, you know, entering college. And so I think we've just got to take a close look at the corruption within the Memphis Shelby County School District 
the largest district in the volunteer state. And there is incredible amounts of corruption. These massive, I mean, just million dollar at times contracts over over times. I mean, these people are just lining their pockets. There was the chair of the Memphis Shelby County School Board. She just resigned on spot. They were actually taking votes on who the next top dog, the superintendent would be. She gets to the podium, says, I'm done. The corruption here is so deep and I'm not going to be a part of it and walked out. So it, it's government at its finest. Yeah, good for her though. But uh, yeah, not, not this finest. All right, last question. Um, uh, let's see how I want to fr- frame this so that you can answer it in a good question. Okay, so only Shelby, Davidson, which is Nashville and Haywood counties when Biden um, went for Biden in all of Tennessee. Little Haywood only had 3,342 total votes. But what do you make of Shelby and Davidson, the two largest and only two with 100,000 plus voters besides uh, Knoxville, where Gloria Johnson is, both got 64.5% for Joe, bucking the whole state where Trump got 60.7%. And what I really want to know is, you have the one elected Democrat to the U.S. Congress, Cohen, also happens to be the only Jewish congressman from Tennessee it, back in D.C. Uh, do you have an opinion on him and the federal voting record of Shelby and Davidson counties uh, bucking all of Tennessee? I mean, look at the the, the counties <clears throat> and, and the cities with the highest crime and, and look at what you voted for. I mean, I, I know metro cities typically, you know, are, are higher crime, higher poverty. I understand that. I had a listener come on the show the other day and she said, isn't it interesting that the cities with the highest crime and all of these problems, education are, are red states? And I said, oh, hold up. We, we have a Shelby County Commission. We have a, a, a dark blue radical Memphis City Council and a Democrat mayor. Bill Lee could do everything he wants, although Bill Lee send the National Guard police, but but he can't do much more than our local government, which is why local government is so, so important. I don't know the history of Nashville, but I know they've been run by some Democrats here in Shelby County. They've been run by Democrats for 60 plus years. What has been working isn't working anymore. So maybe look at something else, but they they just refuse to do that. I mean, you look at Cook County which houses Chicago. And if you were to take Cook County out of Chicago, I forget the crime and, and the statistic, but like the crime in Illinois just just drops and just plummets. Well, that's, yeah. that's what and I've been saying for would, months is that if you just happen. X out Nashville and Memphis, this is the safest place on earth. But then we're going to have good music and good barbecue. <laughs> so uh, it's a catch 22. Yeah, you have to choose. You have to choose. Well, Ben, Thank you. So many more topics of conversation. I hope to have you back one day. Um, thank you for your time. Very much appreciate you. Love your show. We are at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out uh, more about you, your show, your hours, your social media, any upcoming events you have, any news you're working on, anything you want to tell us. Well, Steve, I would love to exchange a favor. I mean, you've got to come on Wake Up Memphis and come on the show with Todd and I. Also, if you're ever in town, we'll get you in studio. And then we'll take you to Central Barbecue after the show. Um, so yeah, the deal. Wake, wake, up, wake Up Memphis is from 7 to 9. That's Central. And Todd Starnt and I do the morning show. It's a lot of fun. We we do a lot of news politics. But we also you know, can talk about Miranda Lambert. Because why not? 
And also, you got to check out the website. A lot of our stories, mighty990.com, mighty990.com. Also, all of our podcasts with a lot of folks you guys, you know, touch base with. I mean, Senator Marsha Blackburn's on the show all the time. Congressman Kustoff is going to join the show in the morning. You know, Mark Green, Diana Harshbarger, they're all friends of this show. So you'll recognize a lot of those faces and voices. Awesome. All right. Well, keep up the great work. I will take you up on that probably sooner rather than later. Maybe when the storm is over, I'll head west. Uh, but have a great day and thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Choosing the right mortgage for your home financing depends on so many factors. Working with a mortgage lender that offers a broad selection of mortgage programs is key. At OneTrust Home Loans, they have helped many homeowners reach their home financing goals because they listen to anticipate your home financing goals and dreams. They aren't salesy, so for those 55 and older, you can trust them to help people not just survive, but thrive with extra cash flow. At OneTrust, service is everything. To speak with a mortgage specialist about your home financing goals, call Matt Helton, Nolensville Branch Manager at 615-400-6764. Be sure to tell him Steve and Steve from MC View sent you. Calcon Mutual Mortgage, LLC, DBA, One Trust Home Loans is an equal housing lender, NMLS 46375. All products are not available in all states. All options are not available on all programs. All programs are subject to borrow and property qualifications. Rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. For more information on reverse mortgages, visit onetrusthomeloans.com slash reverse dash mortgage disclosures. I don't understand. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show where we cover what we just heard. Producer Steve, I really enjoyed that. What did you think of our guest, Ben Dieter? Uh, you know, it, he reminds me of my youngest son who's 20, and I think Ben's a little bit older than that. But he's got that that look, that edge, that young energy that we all need, Steve. I, I mean, I love his energy. And, um, and I love the fact that he lives there in Memphis, even in the spite of the crime because not everything is bad about Memphis. And we have to remember it's a small percentage that causes the problem. And so when you highlight that, they are doing everything they can. It'll be interesting to see if a new mayor is going to make a difference. And But good good interview and a lot of energy there. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think any elected politician, even if they re recreated a combination of Reagan and Lincoln and Washington in some kind of cloned event, can cure anything. I, no. I, I think we're, we're down to the grassroots now, which is yes. what this podcast is. It's what his radio show is, what you've been doing for 25 years now, or maybe more. So it, it's going to come down to those type of conversations. Even if I, I've been trying to get CJ Davis on, she's the new chief of police there. She just tell me, you know, a bunch of talking points, most likely, whereas from his perspective, at least you can get a reporter's and a local's perspective to say, here's what it's really like. Um, and if the more people listen to me and enjoy what we're saying, we could actually create a movement. That's what it's going to take. So, all right, on with the show. Uh, in the last interview of his life, this was 1996, 
Astronomer Carl Sagan warned of the dangers that come when citizens cannot ask skeptical scientific questions of those in authority. Kind of like what I just said. Clip number one. And, but what's the danger of all this? I mean, you know, this is not the thing that... There's two kinds of dangers. One is what I just yeah. talked about, that we've arranged a society based on science and technology in which nobody understands anything about science and technology. And this combustible mixture of ignorance and power, sooner or later, is going to blow up in our faces. I mean, who is running the science and technology in a democracy if the people don't know anything about it? And the second reason that um, I'm worried about this is that science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking, a way of skeptically interrogating the universe with a fine understanding of human fallibility. If, if we are not able to ask skeptical questions, to interrogate those who tell us mm -hmm. that something is true, to be skeptical of those in authority, then we're up for grabs for the next charlatan, political or religious, who comes ambling along. It, it's a thing that Jefferson lay great stress on. It wasn't enough, he said, to enshrine some rights in a, in a constitution or a bill of rights. The people had to be educated and they had to practice their skepticism and their education. Otherwise, we don't run the government. The government runs us. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, I would fully 100% agree with him. That's like a deathbed confession, which is always as true as you're ever going to get in this yeah. life, because um, yeah. that was his last interview. Um, so you agree. He was right. Uh, the interviewer, that was Charlie Rose. Do you remember him? Oh, oh, yes. Talk show host and journalist Charlie Rose was fired by CBS News, PBS, and Bloomberg all in one day in the wake of eight women accusing him of sexual harassment and unwanted advances in a report in the Washington Post. The claims made against Rose at 75 years old in the Post report included groping female acquaintances and walking around naked in their presence. The women were either employees at the Charlie Rose show or aspired to work for the show in allegations spanning from the late 1990s to 2011, right around the time of that interview, by the way, um, according to new the newspaper, three women were on the record and five were anonymous. So that was yesteryear, 2017. May seem like 50 years ago, but merely six. Anyway, today across the pond, BBC News reported Tuesday, a new person has accused an unnamed BBC presenter of menacing and bullying behavior just days after a tabloid story alleging a well-known host paid a 17-year-old for explicit photos, launched a scandal at the decades-old broadcaster, and prompted a raft of speculation. The BBC reported it has received additional evidence of misconduct by the presenter after someone in their 20s who was contacted by the personality via a dating app was later sent abusive, expletive-filled messages when they hinted online they might come forward with the presenter's name. The new allegation raised fresh questions about his conduct, the BBC said, adding its corporate investigations unit is looking into the latest claims. Allegations against the still unnamed presenter first emerged last week when the Sun newspaper reported a mother claimed they paid her 17-year-old child 35,000 pounds, 45,000 US dollars, for explicit photos, and the child then used that money to, quote, destroy their life by buying crack cocaine. The article alleges the families reported the claims to the BBC back in May 
and the broadcaster's corporate investigations team looked into it, but the BBC has said the investigation stalled when attempts to reach the family for more information were unsuccessful. In the days since the initial article published Friday, a lawyer for the alleged victim, who is unnamed, has written to the BBC to say the claims were totally wrong and further claimed the victim contacted the son immediately to refute the rubbish accusations. One of Britain's leading television news anchors, Hugh Edwards, was identified by his wife on Wednesday as the BBC presenter, facing allegations he paid a young person thousands of pounds for sexually explicit photos, the broadcaster reported. Edwards announced the death of Queen Elizabeth to the nation in September and has led coverage of the biggest events in Britain since the turn of the century, including elections, royal weddings, and the 2012 Olympics. Edwards, who has five children, has worked for the BBC since 1984, interesting year, and has announced its flagship's BBC News at 10 Bulletin for more than two decades. He is the broadcaster's highest paid news presenter, earning in the 435000 to £439,999 band about $565,000 if you're counting at home, according to Reuters. It comes and goes, doesn't it? Well, you know, do you remember the name Jimmy Seville? Sure, you tell them. Well, notorious child molester, and uh, there's enough footage that I've watched over the couple of years when uh, people were focusing on that of, could even see things happening right in front of your eyes that was going on at his oh d- various TV shows that he hosted with young people around him. So yeah, he he was well in- enamored amongst the BBC and the royalty, and he is well, he's dead now, thankfully. But yeah, I me thinks that some folks in the media business have some perverted lifestyles at home. I don't know if it's a boring job or the alcohol or the money is too high or whatever, but that's why I like Ben because he's so young. He hasn't been tainted yet. And like I like me because I'm not even a journalist. I just do this for fun. Okay. On the economic front, bad news. Real-time disability data from U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics rose 857,000 in June to a new all-time high of 34.15 million people. The rate of change is accelerating again. If this was a stock, it's a breakout chart and reacceleration of trend. Both employed women and men hit new highs as well. I only mention it to you because it's a record-breaking high, something that's never happened before. We have not had this many disability people in the country at the same time. I wonder what happened. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Are we in a second wave of vaccine injuries? Ah, I got into it now. Not pretty. House Republicans uh, set... Okay, so that was the punchline on that. (laughs) It's a second wave of vaccine injuries. House Republicans set to propose nationwide election integrity bill restricting ballot boxes absentee voting in a move that has rekindled a national debate on voter rights and election integrity. Lawmakers in Capitol Hill are gearing up for a critical round of debates over forthcoming election bills in the next few weeks. Central to discussion will be the proposed restrictions on ballot drop boxes, get rid of them, a prominent element of Republican proposals nationwide. Why a Republican bill? Why not bipartisan? I think we know why. Dems love this stuff. Republicans finally figured out they can't win with it in place, so just now acting to do something. We'll see if it's too little too late for 2024. The GOP on Monday is poised to present the American Confidence in Elections Act, ACEA, a piece of legislation referred to by Rep. Brian Steele, Republican Wisconsin, 
and House Appropriations Committee Chair as the most conservative election-related bill seen in the House in over two decades. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. The Republican bill engages states to verify, encourages states to verify voter lists. Okay, make sure the dead people are gone. Carry out post-election audits. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good and one. And prevent election officials from distributing absentee ballots without a request. That's what happened in Florida, or in Arizona, sorry. I also It also proposes to implement checks on voter el eligibility and terminate a Washington, D.C. policy that allows non-citizens to vote in local elections. Huh, what could go wrong there? The GOP-aligned bill with many the gop bill aligns with many republican-led state legislatures that have introduced id requirements for mail-in voting reduced or eliminated ballot drop boxes and constrained the ability of third parties to return ballots individual states are not idly standing by since 2021 georgia iowa florida and texas have passed laws necessitating voter ids if you all tune into the mill creek view florida edition our newest show you will hear two in a row, very excellent voter integrity um, guests and show by Kat. Uh, did a great job on those, by the way. Um, Steve, you're the producer of those, so congratulations. Good shows. They also want to limit or get rid of drop boxes or introducing other protective measures. In contrast, states like California, New York, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington yes. have moved in the direction of relaxing election integrity because they're so oh. mellow. Arizona, Missouri, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Tennessee have also made attempts or succeeded in implementing new voting and election laws during the same period. I won't get into how they did it wrong in Tennessee, but they did it. Clip number two, please. I want to make sure that people can discern the truth from the misinformation. And we want to make sure that everyone understands that no one's safe till everyone's safe. No one is 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 safe. Nobody is safe. This is a post 9 11 axiom. Safer, but not yet safe. No one is safe. No one is safe. No one is safe. No one is safe from COVID 19 until everyone is safe. If the whole world isn't safe, none of us are safe. No one is safe. No one is safe. Nobody is safe until we're all safe. Health experts have been saying nobody is safe. Nobody is safe until everybody is safe. Nobody is safe. The science is clear. None of us are safe. There is no safety. No one is safe. No one is safe. No one is safe. No one is safe until everyone is safe. No one's safe. Nobody is safe. Nobody's safe. No one's safe. We'll never be safe until we're all safe. We are never going to be safe. 99.5% of people are safe and will survive COVID-19. Uh, the only positive thing out of this is we should be able to manufacture a lot of vaccines and... Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. You don't have a choice. As long as not everybody is vaccinated, nobody will be safe. Normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. So get the fucking vaccine! You need to get vaccinated, and if you don't, you are going to die. I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones, but you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know who they are. The unvaccinated people. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. If you are the unvaccinated, you are the problem. You're the f 
problem. Condemn them, shame them, blame them. The only people that you can blame are the unvaccinated. Frankly, we can't trust the unvaccinated. They should not be part of polite society. The lunatics who won't take COVID vaccines. Walking around lawfully unvaccinated? That's psychotic. If you're willing to walk among us unvaccinated, you are an enemy. You have no right not to be vaccinated. You don't have the right to contaminate someone. You can't go around pointing a gun in somebody's face, which is what it is when people are unvaccinated. They are all idiots and losers. This is a real movement in this country against the unvaccinated. Jennifer I think you're supposed to stop. Okay. <laughs> Have any of these people, some of the voices are recognizable, some may, may not, apologize for being 100% wrong? Everybody was wrong. Nobody was right on COVID and the science. Except for us um, who said we're not going to get the jab. Yeah, and we don't have multi-million-dollar uh, network contracts like no, they all do. No, let's hear a little more of that. That goes on for nine minutes. Let's hear a little bit more of that. Aniston is cutting non-vaccinated people out of her life. The unrepentant, unvaccinated. They should be removed from the hospital. Those who refuse to be vaccinated should be denied health care. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care Jimmy of you. Kimmel. Unvaccinated guy, rest in peace, Wheezy. You're. Some doctors are saying they'll refuse treatment for people who choose not to get the shot. Why are hospital and ICU resources going to them? Morons who will not get the shot. The unvaccinated clowns. Idiots who think that they can do their own research. Don't do any of your own research. Doing your own research is associated with conspiracy theory circles. This go-it-alone approach, doing your own research. That can have serious consequences. You should get prison time for even questioning the vaccines. Can we all stop saying, I need to do my own research? That phrase, do your own research, four words, four little words that are hurting America. Doing your own research hurts America. Everybody has a supercomputer in their hand that empowers them to do their own research, and that's the problem. You must not do your own research. Oh, I need to do my own research. I don't have to understand what that means. I'm doing my own research. You can't do your own research unless you're a scientist. Don't do your own research. Maybe you've told yourself you're playing it safe. You just want to wait and see since this is a new vaccine. No. Roll the up and get the vaccine. Unvaccinated people spread the virus. It's a vaccine, you dopes. Don't be a Get yourself vaccinated. That's just all there is to it. There's no excuse. No excuse for being unvaccinated. There's no rational and no emotional argument that adds up against getting your damn shot. There just isn't. But you made a conscious decision not to get the vaccine. I also have natural immunity. So for me, personally, this vaccine poses a greater risk than a benefit. I'm also not a risk to any of you. Let's look at the science. So we see yes, let's look at the sciences. Guess what? I love what you've done here, Steve. I didn't know it was coming, but you started out with Carl Sagan. Yes. There you go. So, uh, you know how I knew in the very, very, very beginning that this was not going to go well? How? All those talking heads saying you had to do it. And then they got down in the mud and said, you're stupid if you don't. I knew right then and there, like, oh, this is not good. Anyway, no apologies yet. Uh, ratings are way down, so maybe it's come home to roost anyway with loss of trust, which is what I'm trying to establish here with y'all folks. One more on this topic during the recent Republican presidential candidate wannabe event. Uh, here's how former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, handled it. Clip number four. COVID shots did you take, and how do you feel about it now? How many COVID shots did you take? Zero. 
I do think that the whole country ought to pause and assess, like, what did we just go through? What, How do we feel about it now? And so it's a very straightforward question. Well, I'll give you a straightforward okay. answer on uh, a number of points there. Uh, first of all, uh, in Arkansas, we had no governmental mandates. In fact, we passed a law, that, which I signed, that prohibited government from mandating uh, the vaccine to be taken by government employees. Whenever you're looking at the vaccine, it should be individual choice. We shouldn't be firing people uh, from government because uh, they make that individual decision. Yes, I took the vaccine, and I also I went out and held town hall meetings uh, where we brought in medical testimony and, and local doctors and talked in the community about it. So I think we made the right, I mean, I made the right decision taking the vaccine for me, uh, but other people can make a different decision. And there you have it. So now here's what's interesting about that little nugget to me. How many shots did Tucker get? He said he got zero, yet guess who was promoting it during the whole darn thing? Well, his company, for one, Fox News requires employees to provide vaccination status by Carolyn Vackel, August 19, 2021. The CEO of Fox News sent a memo to staff on Tuesday, including several updates to its COVID-19 protocol, one of which required employees to input their vaccination status. Back in June, the news outlet issued a memo encouraging fully vaccinated staff to include their vaccination status into Workday. The memo, oh man, I remember my old company had Workday. That was a joke. The memo noted at the time that employees who might be vaccinated but had not provided that information to the company would be considered unvaccinated until they're under their policies. In the memo issued on Tuesday and obtained by Adweek, Suzanne Scott told employees that they would be required to input their vaccination status by the end of that day. The policy pertains to both on-site employees and remote workers. Tucker was an employee. Additionally, Scott noted that select employees in their New York offices, where Tucker worked, would be required to do COVID-19 testing at least once each week, regardless of their vaccination status. Hmm. The memo also included protocol regarding masking procedures and COVID-19 screenings. That was August 2021, right? Yep. August 19th, six months prior, February 9th, 2021, Fox News Media CEO Suzanne Scott signs new multi-year contract. Suzanne's stellar leadership and business acumen is evident across Fox News Media, Lachlan Murdoch said, the son of Rupert. Scott was named Fox News' first female CEO in May 2018 and has expanded the Fox News Channel brand into a multi-platform juggernaut not known as now known as Fox News Media. Quote, I am grateful to Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch for the opportunity to continue leading Fox News Media and positioning all of our platforms for future success, Scott said. Prior to being elevated to CEO, Scott was the president of programming for both Fox News Channel and Fox Business Network, where she oversaw all network programming and, listen to this, talent management. She was responsible for building the current powerhouse primetime lineup by adding Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram. Now today, Fox News has settled for $12 million, a lawsuit by former Fox News producer Abby Grossberg, who had claimed gender discrimination and accused the network's lawyers of pressuring her to make misleading statements in the Dominion voting system case, her lawyer Tanver Rahman said on Friday. Grossberg said Fox subjected her to sexism, misogyny, 
and anti-Semitism. The deal follows Fox's April 18th agreement to pay Dominion $787.5 million to settle the voting technology company defamation suit in Delaware. A week later, huh, whose state is that? A week later, on April 25th, Fox announced that it had parted ways with Tucker Carlson, the conservative host whom Dominion had accused of allowing debunked election fraud claims about the firm to air on his show while casting doubt on the plausibility of those claims in private messages that emerged in legal filings. Grossberg was the head of booking guest for Carlson. Grossberg claimed that Carlson made derogatory comments toward women and cited incidents such as Carlson's staff discussing whether Michigan's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, was hotter and better at sex than Republican opponent Tudor Dixon. Grossberg alleged that on her first day on Tucker Carlson Tonight, she discovered many photographs of octogenarian then House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi shown in a plunging bathing suit traveling the Democratic's uh, revealing the Democrats' cleavage, gross, on her computer and elsewhere throughout the office. She also alleged that a member of Carlson's staff called Grossberg into his office and asked her whether Maria Bartiromo, who she had worked for before Carlson, was having sex with Representative Kevin McCarthy, now the U.S. House Speaker. Grossberg alleged that an executive for Carlson's show once remarked that the mother's room, an office designated for network employees to pump breast milk, was a waste of space and should be replaced with a room of tanning beds for the guys to tan their testicles, according to Reuters. I don't believe a, I don't believe a word of that. No, I don't why, either. Why did I bother to read it all to you? Because cable news is a pit of vipers, and I highly recommend you do not go there for your news, conservatives or liberal. You're going to get a lot of pharma advertising and a lot of baloney and a lot of Democratic talking points, no matter what channel it is. Cable news has probably been the bane of history's existence, in my humble opinion. CNN was probably one too many, but the rest of them are all bad. Um, and like I say, behind the scenes, it's gross. But I know some of you will, and good news uh, is fewer and fewer of you are. They're figuring it out. Here are today total averages in total viewers at the 25 to 54 demo, which I still am in. Total views, CNN, 512,000. Fox News, 1.3 million. Okay, that's a lot. MSNBC, 950,000. That's a day. All right. Uh, 25 to 54 demo. Uh, yep, I just quoted that. Um, wait a second. Something is important here. No, that's total viewers. This is that's the demo in prime time. Uh yeah, primetime averages encompassing shows which air from 8 to 11 p.m. in total views and the 25 to 54 demo. Total views for CNN, 630,000. Fox News, 1.68 million. X Tucker, because he's been gone since this was yep. last taken. Yep. MSNBC, 1.26 million. <clears throat> That's a shame. And in that 25 to 54 demo, CNN, 122,000. That's almost the size of the last Rose Bowl attendance. Fox News, 168,000, a little better. MSNBC, 128,000. That's Alabama, Tennessee football. So pretty pathetic for the amount of advertising revenue they get from woke companies. For those interested, in 2021, U.S. ad revenue reached close to 304 billion U.S. dollars, according to Statista.com, Geico, a car insurance company brand that belongs to Berkshire Hathaway, owned by Warren Buffett, 
ranked as the most advertised brand in the United States in 2021 with a measured media ad spend of 1.5 billion of those US dollars. Wow. You know, the sassy British lizard as a pitch. Yes. You don't need that. Uh, Just listen to a good podcast instead. I can think of one, actually three. Stay tuned for my thought of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. Hey, this is Matt Murphy with Supertalk 99.7 WTN, and you're listening to Steve on the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Welcome to my quotes for the day. And no, I don't have COVID. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes and hit the subscribe button and follow us. While you're there, go ahead and leave a comment and I'll read it on air. And thanks for doing it. That was the big thing when I was growing up, singing on the radio. The extent of my dream was to sing on the radio station in Memphis. Even when I got out of the Air Force in 1954, I came right back to Memphis and started knocking on doors at the radio station. Johnny Cash. Anytime in radio that you can reach somebody on an emotional level, you're really connecting. Casey Kasem. A good radio show will captivate you and it's active listening. It's not in the background. Rush Limbaugh. John R. told me you don't work for the radio station. You work for the people out there. Wolfman Jack. Wolfman Jack was born Robert Weston Smith in Brooklyn, New York on January 21st, 1938. As a teenager, he would listen to the radio in his home's basement where he pretended to be the DJ. His early influences were the DJs of his day like Tommy Small, The Hound, and Jocko. The Wolfman Jack radio show is still on the air every night somewhere in the world. Did you know that, Steve? No, I did not know that. All right. It's a good thing you're listening. The radio craze will die out in time. Thomas A. Edison. Oops. Not so good. That's it for this episode. Really hoped you liked it. Thank you, Ben Dieter, for keeping radio alive for a new generation of listeners. Isn't that cool? Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time.
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.